Hello, and welcome to Pinot and Perfume. I am your host, Sarah Chacon. And before we get into all of the um, exciting discoveries, well, actually just one exciting discovery for me, and some just things that I've been doing, I wanted to share with you what I'm drinking. I realized last weekend weekend last week's episode I did not divulge what I was drinking at least I don't think so but it was nothing exciting it was actually a bottle of um of red I forget what it was called but I had drank it previously on an episode and then I must have corked it up and put it under the cabinet and forgot about it and so I finished that bottle up during yesterday last week's uh episode I don't really know if it's turned it didn't taste like it turned um I feel like I should my taste in wine is probably not, I mean, you know, I'm not a sommelier or anything, but I feel like I should know enough to know if wine has turned, and that still was pretty palatable, so it could not have been, but uh, anyway, I drank it. Um, anyway, today I am not drinking a wine, I'm actually drinking a beer. It is the Herbert Oud Lambique. If you are familiar at all with beer, you know that uh, Lambique is a, a Belgian style of beer, and usually it's carbonated. My husband ordered uh, this particular box. This, this one came in a box um, from BelgiumInABox.com. Hot tip if you love Belgian beer. And it came in a five-liter box. No, yeah, no, it's a, it's a box, but it's five liters worth of beer. Anyway, um, I guess this beer is not carbonated, which some styles aren't, especially if we're going to put them in a box as opposed to a bottle, a pressurized bottle with a cork, which is how I have normally seen Lambiques stored. And this is my Everest. Um, it's not a bad beer, but I just don't, I don't care for it. I like a carbonated Lambique, a non-carbonated Lambique, to me feels weird like the mouthfeel feels weird it feels like it's old beer and it's not and my um husband said it's supposed to taste like that it's fine but yeah I just it's not for me it's not a bad like I said it's not a bad beer it's just I don't like the flatness and there's there is a lot I'm actually made a good dent in it I, I thought there was a lot more left than what there was we opened it when my when my husband was home and he and I polished off quite a few glasses between the two of us. There was still a shit ton left. He brought it with him to Tampa to hang out with his friends. They put, uh, they polished off a little bit. Still a shitload left. And so now I am not allowing myself to buy any more beer um, until I finish off this this box. And I want to buy beer so bad. I want to go to Total Wine and just stock up because it's starting to be fall, which means. The stouts and the malts, oh, the the imperial stouts, the barrel aged stouts, the chocolate stouts—it's all coming out. The pumpkin ales—it's all coming out. I want it all in my uh, inside of me, but I gotta hold off. That's why I'm trying to finish up this lambique. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's what I am drinking um, today and probably for the foreseeable future. Uh, we'll I have to space it out because obviously I can't just be like downing this all the time. But you know what I mean. Hopefully my next week I should finish it off because there's not a lot left. So anyway, that's that's what um, I am putting down currently. And now on to the exciting discovery. Um, so if you listened to last week's episode or subsequently saw uh, Wednesday's Instagram post, 
you know, would know that uh, I mentioned Harajuku Lovers G perfume uh, in last week's episode. Now, Harajuku Lovers, if you were sleeping under a rock in like the early 2000s, that is Gwen Stefani's fragrance brand. She also came out with like a fashion line um, that also produced a perfume called Lamb. And that's an acronym for something. Sorry, I don't remember what it is. But, um, yeah, so these these little, the Harajuku fragrance um, girls were, I mean, they were girls. They were, like, little, I think there's, like, four or five of them. And uh, one was named G, one was named Baby. There was a music, and there was, like, a couple of others. And G smelled like coconuts. I mean, that was my first impression was um, she smelled like summertime and I loved it and I was here for it and I had a bottle and I didn't think that they made the line anymore but while I was editing last week's episode and was listening to that part of the uh, show I decided to just do some googling just because I was curious and lo and behold wouldn't you know it but uh, there was a whole uh, version of this Harajuku line called Pop Electric and Pop Electric G popped up on NordstromRack.com for like 12 bucks. With shipping, it was like $20, but you know, whatever. And I did some more Googling just now, and apparently um, you can buy this on Alta online too. Like it's, they're still in production, which is amazing. Um, let me see if I can bring it up. I have, okay, here we go. Um, yeah, now on Alta, it ranges from like 30 to 45, depending on the size. I got a one um, fluid ounce and she was 12 bucks from Nordstrom Rack. So you are overpaying at Ulta, but then again, you'll probably get a bigger size and a free gift with purchase according to the website. So yeah, so they have uh, Pop Electric G, Pop Electric Baby, Pop Electric Love, Pop Electric Angel, and then Pop Electric Music. Try and say Pop Electric like two times, uh, 10 times fast. That will, that is a tongue twister. And in my Instagram post, I mentioned that it was a flanker because I thought I had read somewhere when I initially found it. It might've been on Nordstrom's Rack's own site. It kind of read like it was a flanker, like there was something different, but I tried looking like doing some more Googling today and I don't, and I think the only difference is just the bottle. Like the, the, the bottle is, you still have a little girl on top. That's the cap. But uh, it's just like a pop art style. And she's got a few others. There's a Wicked Cuties. I don't know if those are still in production. I think the pop ones are like the latest iteration. Uh, But like the Wicked Cutie had a different one. There's like a little sunshine version. Um, So I think the fragrance is still the same. And smelling it now, I get pineapple on top of the coconut. So to me, it smells like a pina colada. Still here for it. Still love it. Um, but that's not any, there's no notes, not like there's no pineapple notes. I'll, I'll actually read you the notes, um, right now. So, oh, so FYI for Pop Electric G on Ulta, it's $30 for 1.0 ounce. So you're better off going through NordstromRack.com. You will pay shipping, but it'll still be cheaper than Ulta and you'll probably still pay shipping on Ulta unless you needed to buy something else. And you do get a free gift. I don't know what you get. Um, oh, a free weekender bag with any $40 fragrance purchase. So this purchase alone would not even qualify it. But anyway, uh, the details. So um, it is classified as a modern oriental gourmand. 
and uh, the notes are the top note. The top note is uh, crisp mandarin, fresh coconut, and apple skin. The mid is jasmine sandback, soft freesia, magnolia vapor, and the base is coconut cream, white sandalwood, and cotton woods. So maybe it's the apple that to me is coming across like a pina colada, like a, a pineapple smell. I don't get um, the jasmine. I don't get any of the florals, and I don't really get the cotton. I just get the coconut and the fruit. I am so down with that, um, and I love it. Um, but yeah, to me, I get pina colada vibes. Not even complaining because it's just a nice blast from the past. You know, like it's I I smelled it and I was instantly brought back to my early twenties and. I was, um, I love it. So I am definitely going to be wearing this a lot. Um, it's, it's nice. So there you have a mini, a mini fragrance, uh, review in the opening. Um, what else I wanted to talk about? So I have been balls deep in some good nonfiction lately. I have been a fiction reader for pretty much all of my life up into the last few months. And that's just because I... There's just so much compelling nonfiction out there. And what I am reading currently, I'm like obsessed with. It's called Bad Blood. It's by John Carreyrou. He works for the Wall Street Journal. And it is about uh, the Theranos controversy. If you are not familiar with Theranos, it was a company founded by a woman named Elizabeth Holmes. She is a 19-year-old Stanford dropout. And basically, she claimed that this company had technology that instead of drawing your blood via the traditional, um, like through your vein in your arm and taking out vials that with just a pinprick, um, they could take enough blood to run like a whole bunch of tests. The problem was, was that the technology wasn't working, uh, slash didn't exist for what, uh, Elizabeth Holmes wanted it to do, but she was still trying to commercialize it. And it's like a whole mess. And I am here for it because listen, I love a good expose. I I wish I could say that it's because, you know, I love to see justice prevail and, you know, and all of that and like good always went out. It's not for any of that, um, those altruistic reasons. It stems solely from the fact that I love drama so long as it's not in my personal life. I like my personal life to be cool, calm and collected, smooth sailing 100%. My house is like my my sanctuary. I come home, I hang out with my dogs, I watch some shitty TV or I read or do whatever, but I don't interact with people and I don't have to deal with people's bullshit. I love it like that. I don't like having friends who always have some sort of drama in in my life because it's just those relationships are very exhausting. I don't like to have drama in my marriage, but having said that, I will most certainly watch other people's dumpster fires. It's why I watch Housewives it's why I, I will I will read exposés because it's just, it's spicy. It, it spices things up. It makes things interesting. And I don't care where I get it from either. Like I was at a um, Christmas party at a former employer uh, for my, uh, my former employer through. It was at a hotel. It was very nice. Uh, hotel in downtown Tampa. And as my husband and I were leaving, I heard a guy going, Christine, Christine, come back. And um, it happened to be we were walking past like a corridor that I think it just ended up leading to either like stairs or an elevator. And a woman, like a girl, these guys look, they were young. Like I don't, 
this was Christmas, so it wasn't like it was prom time. So they could have been part of the Christmas party. There were actually there were multiple companies having Christmas parties there. So they could have been interns. They could have been, you know, like young college, whatever. But this girl was like storming off. I don't know where she was going to go because this corridor is short. But she was like walking away. And the guy was calling after her like, Christine, come back. And I knew that they had like had a fight. She was pissed at him for something. And I wanted to see what it was. And I was so tempted to just kind of slow down my walk or stop because I have no shame and straight up stare, but that, that actually would have been too much. And I think my husband probably would have been mortified, but I, I'm, I would have loved to see how that played out because I just, I, lo- I love other people's drama. So uh, this is like right up my alley. It's very compelling writing. You've got intrigue, you've got lies, you've got uh, a, a weird workplace romance between Elizabeth Holmes and her this guy she put in as her vice president of Theranos, either president or vice president, whatever. He was another high. He was like her second in command. You've got uh, paranoia and secrecy, and, and she pulled like a, the wool over a lot of people's eyes. Like she fooled Henry Kissinger, Secretary of State, General Mattis, a bunch of venture capitalists, because they all thought this was going to be like the next Apple, the next Steve Jobs. And even though there were like a shit ton of red flags, you could make a quilt from all the red flags that this company was throwing up. People still did not pull out because of FOMO. They were all afraid that if they bailed and she turned out to be correct and she had this technology and it was a real game changer, that they would have missed out on the next big thing. FOMO is real, y'all, and uh, it's, uh, it will definitely fool even the smartest people. And apparently all you have to do is be a smooth talker and be very charming, and you, can, you too can raise, you know, like billions of dollars over the span of 10 years, which is what she did. Um, anyway, it didn't turn out too well for her because she's going to be tried for wire fraud next year, but I'm down with it. Um, Like I said, I love drama. I feel hashtag blessed whenever I get to witness like a public fight between people or when I am put on to a good book like this. So I'm going to finish up that. I also am like balls deep in the Chernobyl saga. This is what I go through. I, I go through phases where I'll get obsessed about a situation. So right now it's Theranos and Chernobyl. Now more Theranos than Chernobyl, but like last month it was Chernobyl. I uh, back in June I watched the HBO miniseries and was hooked, and so then I had to go like read a book about it, and I read Midnight in Chernobyl, who's written by another journalist. I don't think he is with the Washington uh, Wall Street Journal. I think he is with New York Times, but don't quote me on that. I don't have that in front of me. But his name's Adam. Hagen Botham, and I think I probably just fucked his last name up. Sorry, Adam. Um, but he, it's like a more, it's kind of like the HBO Chernobyl series, but it has way more information because, you know, let's face it, a TV series that's like, I think, five episodes, which is what this Chernobyl miniseries was, you can only put so much information in it. So, and it condenses a lot of things, um, which I get. You know, they, they got to tell a story. It's got to be compelling. You can't lose things. can't lose people. But if you are intrigued at all by that uh, TV show or just by the Chernobyl incident in general, definitely pick up this book because 
it's like reading the miniseries, but you get way more information. And again, the writing is compelling. The journalist does such a good job of kind of explaining, well, how a how nuclear fission works to a layman. And he doesn't get too wrapped up in the weeds because, I mean, he's not a nuclear physicist or anything like that. But he does kind of give an overview of like how it's supposed to work. He goes into like the political climate of when the Chernobyl reactor was uh, designed and developed, uh, the political climate just as well in general of like the Soviet Union and the Communist Party and how they had very unrealistic deadlines and also because of corruption, raw materials needed to be to build things either did not, um, people didn't get them on time or at all. So it forced people to cut corners. So he lays all the groundwork and you can, and as you're reading that, you're like, holy shit, this was something like this was bound to happen. And then he goes into like the disaster itself. And it's kind of like how the um, HBO thing, uh, the HBO show sets it up. Like you have, um, he goes into like what happened, like the time it happened, the everything leading up to it, the tests, all of that. And then like, boom, he goes into the response of, um, uh, the the communist party members who were in charge of the reactor, um, as well as you know the ongoing debate as to whether or not to evacuate Pripyat before people knew like just the extent of the damage. It's so good, like I you will not put it down. It's good. So anyway, I'm obsessed with that. Like a psychopath, I started looking up on YouTube um, news broadcasts from like '86 when it happened. Um, actually, my husband. <laughs> We, we had gotten into a fight just before he left, and um, we had made up, obviously, too. But <laughs> to kind of help smooth things over, he put he found, like, a Dan Rather uh, Chernobyl, like, newscast from, like, 86. I think this was—I think it was about a few days after—like, three days maybe had passed. Three or four days had passed after the initial explosion when, like, the West— uh, Western news media outlets finally got wind of it and were starting to report on it. So this was, you know, af- shortly after the incident took place and um, Dan Rather was covering it and they had experts on and it was it was in- interesting. But yeah, he knew how to smooth things over with me because he um, he pulled that for us to watch and we did. Um, so he knows I'm a psychopath about things. A few years, actually... We had just started talking, so he didn't know the full extent of my of my crazy at this time and my obsession with, like, random incidents in history, but I did go through a pretty heavy phase of being obsessed with the JFK assassination. I think I might get back into that because I found on my Kindle a book that I had bought about JFK assassination that I have yet to read, um, but yeah, I read multiple books and listened to a few books on that. I saw the movie JFK. I'm fully convinced that it is a conspiracy. I was excited when um, I think the National Archives released some of that previously confidential um, Warren Commission stuff. But then I heard that what they released didn't really shed any more light on the JFK assassination. So it's still a mystery. But yeah, I'm all into shit like that. I love conspiracy theories, exposés, just plain drama. Give it to me all. It gets me hard. I love it. Put me onto it. So my to-read list ha- now has similar books to, like, John Carreyrou, The the Bad Blood. There's, um, actually, let me bring it up. Bring up the old Goodreads, which, if you're a fellow reader, um, feel free to look me up on Goodreads. Let me see what I am uh, 
listed as because I have it attached, excuse me, to my Facebook. Um, I'm just, let's see, I am under Sarah. Um, and that's taking too long to load. Um, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't have a last name. So just type in Sarah. I'm making a stupid duck face, and I look like I have, I have blue fingernails. It was, uh, I was posing because I was at a, a 1980s bachelorette party. Um, it has my old website, onerandombee.com, under about. So look me up and try and friend me if you can find me. So yeah, so here's what's on my to-read list based on my recent obsessions. Um, Den of Thieves, Billion Dollar Whale, The Cadaver King, and The Country Dentist. That's more of a true crime situation that the Stacks podcast put me on to. Um, if you are a reader and you have not heard of that podcast, listen to that because it is quite good. She interviews authors, uh, she reviews books, and um, tra- she, Tracy, she that is is the host of the podcast, and the discussion is very thoughtful and uh, smart, so, um, and she always has, if you need something to read, just go, I think her Instagram is the Stacks Pod. Listen to a couple episodes. She will fill your to-read list right on up. Um, I also have Old School Expose, All the President's Men. That um, has been on my to-read list forever, and that might have to move on up because, you know, Wood, Woodward and Bernstein, everybody knows about Deep Throat, which, love it. There's some, apparently there was some cloak and dagger things, like, uh, I, I forget which journalist it was, but apparently they had an apartment, and whenever... Uh, they wanted to meet with Deep Throat. They would put like a like a pot, a potted plant out on the ledge, and then they would meet Deep Throat at like their meeting spot. Um, or when Deep Throat wanted to initiate a meeting, he would put in like a time on the the newspaper. I don't know if it was like the Washington Post, might have been, or the copy of like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. Anyway, the the paper, and I for, again, I forget the. The which journalist this was, but he would write a time inside the newspaper copy, and then they would meet. Like, I eat all of that shit up because it's exciting and it's juicy. So, all that to say, if you have any similar recommendations, either true crime, uh, conspiracy theories, or a sweet-ass expose, let me know. Um, Instagram at Snappy Scribe, Facebook at The Snappy Scribe. Um... Yeah, let me know because I I need I need this drama llama needs to be fed and I need a good book to sink my teeth into. I need to have them lined on up. So, without further ado, we are going to get into scent of the week. Hmm. Okay, had to take a sip there at the beginning. So, scent of the week. Is not G. Um, I already kind of went into that. Between Instagram and this episode, this is uh, G will probably not be a sin of the week uh, just because I already gave you pretty much the gist of the review. I love it. You have the notes. There you go. You can buy it on Ulta or Nordstrom Rack if you are a baller on a budget. But this t- this week, we are going to discuss um, my first foray into Joe Malone London fragrances called Wild Bluebell. Now, I got this on Sephora. This is a deluxe sample, so um, I was buying, I think I was buying some skincare or something unrelated, and uh, one of my, as a, I think I'm VIB, 
yeah, I'm a Sephora VIB, so as part of my like rewards, I got to get a choose a deluxe sample, and I wanted to see what Joe Malone was all about. And I think uh, what's her nuts, uh, Meghan Markle. I think she. I think I read somewhere that she has this fragrance. Like this is part that she has while Bluebell in her fragrance uh, collection. So I wanted to see what it was all about. I have smelled Joe Malone London's fragrances in Sephora. They're very nice. Uh, nothing that really blew me away. And that's what I got to say about Wild Bluebell. It's a very pretty scent. When I first sprayed it, I didn't get the floral aspect at all. It smelled sweet. But once I actually wore it for a week, then I started getting um, the floral notes. So... What I love about Jo Malone London's website is that it has everything I need. I don't have to go searching for, like, the notes elsewhere. She's got it all. So they call it Tasty Notes. I think that's very strange because this is not edible. Do not try to drink Jo Malone London perfumes. Uh, you will probably get sick. Maybe die if your stomach is not pumped. Okay, that's going into a, a weird dramatic spot. Um, I'm still I'm still amped up from talking about all the exposés I've been reading. Um, so yeah, so notes. Uh, they say the top note is Bluebell, and they say it is a wildflower accord blended with notes of crisp green leaves, the balsamic sweetness of spicy clove buds, and a subtle dewy accent. Then you have the heart note, persimmon, a milky peach note with clean, creamy undertones. And then the base note of white musk. Uh, powdery and clean, white musk enhances the trail of scent, adding a softness that endures. Now, with that being said, I will say I do not smell powder in this at all. To me, the overwhelming scent that I get is that bluebell, which makes sense because it is called wild bluebell, duh. But I don't really get the persimmon. But once it settles on me, I do get that white musk. So it kind of anchors the scent very nicely. Um, it is described on the Joe Malone London's website as um, the little description is vibrant sapphire blooms in a shaded woodland. The delicate sweetness of dewy bluebells suffused with the lily of the valley and eglantine and a luscious twist of persimmon. Mesmerizing. Uh, and then discover why some chick likes this. Okay, so this is a sweet scent, but it's not cloying. It's actually very, uh, it's not, it's nice and light. But to me, I, I say the, the, long, the longevity is pretty nice. Like I'd say you get about four or five hours. I do on it. Um, there has been, there are some criticisms on Sephora.com that it doesn't last that long. And for the price you pay, you want some, they want some longevity. Uh, just to give you um, the pricing right now for 50 milliliters, it's $95. And that's the only size that I see on Joe Malone's website. Um, on the website, they have 17 reviews. Most of them are five bows. That is what they, what you can rate. And a lot of people love it. Um, they say it's very uh, feminine. Uh, somebody said that it works very well with each person's personal body chemistry to really make personalize the scent. Um, they think it's clean, it's unique, um, and they they like it. Um, again, there's just a few comments saying that for the price you pay, they want some more longevity, but, you know, you can't please everybody. I will say that Jo Malone scents, from my understanding, they are meant to be layered. Now, I, I don't layer. 
I want a scent to speak for itself. I am also not a perfumer, so I don't want to spray one scent on me and then spray another scent and it smell like dog shit. So I refrain from from layering, but her scents are meant to be layered and somebody did layer it over. They think it's too feminine to wear by itself, so they spray it on top of a more masculine unisex scent that they wear that's a little bit more musky and they say it's it's very um that complements it quite well. So it's up to you. Um if I would say go to Sephora cuz Sephora does carry these in store as well and you can see like the whole line pretty much and and test it out and spray it. Um they're all kind of like this. Like I would say the colognes themselves don't have a lot of notes going into it. It's like one, two, or, you know, a couple of notes here and there just to, like, anchor it down or balance it out. But I think that is because they are meant to be layered. So if that's your jam, go to Sephora and play. If not, you know, this might still be quite a good scent. Um, you might find another scent you like better. But as for me, like, I think it's I think it's very pretty. It is very sweet. I think this is a good spring, uh, spring scent. Would I buy this once I finish this little deluxe sample? Probably not. It doesn't make that much of an impression on me. It is a very unique floral. I haven't smelled another floral like that. So if that sounds like something that's right up your alley, uh, definitely go try it out. Or if you can get a deluxe sample, do so. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I'll enjoy this deluxe sample and then move on with my life. But that's me. You might be different. I do want to go over, um, I wasn't sure when this debuted, so I went on base notes, and apparently Wild Bluebell uh, debuted in 2011, and it is marketed as a feminine scent, and according to base notes, the perfume, the perfumer behind it is Christine Nagel, and the parent company is Estee Lauder. Now, the notes they list... Uh, for the top notes are Bluebell and Cloves. The heart notes are Lily of the Valley, Jasmine and Rosehip. And then base notes are White, Amber, and Musk. So there you go. I will probably um, go off of Joe Malone London's website for the notes more so than base notes. But, you know, to each his own. And this one, this one's kind of mediocre. It's only got eight reviews, and so it's... Um, three and a half stars out of four based on 40 votes. Um, I thought it was only eight reviews. What does it say? Show all eight reviews of Wild Bluebell. I don't know. But um, yeah, people, it's one of those scents like you either love it or, or not so much or it's just meh. And if you're going to spend $95 on a, on a perfume, you know, make sure you love it. Get a sample. Sephora gives out samples. I think they'll do up to three per day. Um, so yeah, play with it in the store, uh, take a sample or two home uh, to see how you like it, and then purchase. Uh, that is a smart way to do it. Um, or if you're a psychopath like me, you just get super excited, spray every single scent on your body, and uh, you forget which one you like, and so you buy one that you remember you liked. Uh, that is very chaotic. So anyway, that's our scent of the week. Joe Malone London, Wild Bluebell. Okay, fragrance of the week. I got some good ones this week, you guys. So the first one uh, that caught my atten attention is from atlasobscura.com. 
The title of the article is Researchers Concocted an Ancient Egyptian Perfume Perhaps Worn by Cleopatra. Uh, the headline or the subhead is one archaeologist describes a spicy, musky scent as the Chanel number no. five of ancient Egypt. I'm going to tell you this right now. This headline is definitely designed to uh, draw you in like it did me. Uh, they say later on in the article that this perfume that was recreated, it's doubtful as to whether whether or not Cleopatra actually wore it. But they open up with the whole Cleopatra angle because why not? You got to draw in people somehow, you know. And apparently, she loved perfume, or at least she wore it, a lot of it. Um, it this article says, uh, legend has it, that when she first visited Mark Antony in Tarsus, she coated the purple sails of her golden boat in a fragrance so pungent that it wafted all the way to shore. Uh, that is very extra. Um, but I guess what else would you expect from probably the most powerful Egyptian queen that we know? Who made a lot? I didn't know this bitch had an affair with both Julius Caesar and Mark Antony. So she had she created a very powerful alliance with uh, Rome. So hands down for her, she must have some magic. She must have some good old good old stuff. I don't know, but they apparently loved it, loved her. So anyway. Some researchers were fucking around um, and uh, excavating the ancient Egyptian city Thmuis. And apparently this city was home to uh, two of the most famous perfumes in ancient Egypt called Mendesian and Metopian. And so they uncovered uh, what they thought was an ancient fragrance factory. It had a bunch of like glass perfume jars and clay amphoras. I don't know what an amphora is, but I'm assuming it's some sort of clay vessel that housed oils and such. And so they wanted to recover, see if they could recover any scent. Um, Nothing that they recovered smelled, but they were actually able to get um, to conduct like a residue analysis to see what like what notes and what ingredients were in these ancient fragrances. And so they um, did this residue analysis and uh, then they tried to replicate the scent um, from what the what this testing revealed. And also they uh, found some formulas in some ancient Greek texts that they worked, y'all. I mean, <laughs> that is a lot of work to recreate a scent. So, um, these, the Mendesian and Metopian perfumes contain myrrh, and they said to recreate the scent, in addition to the myrrh, uh, experts added cardamom, green olive oil, and a little cinnamon. And they say the uh, resulting scent is strong, uh, smells strong, spicy, and faintly of musk. And they go on to say that uh, perfumes were much thicker back in ancient Egypt, more of like the consistency of olive oil. Um, and, um, fragrance was very much a part of ancient Egyptian life. Uh, they say, uh, people, this is from the article, people used fragrance and rituals and wore scents in unguent cones, which were like wax hats that dripped oil onto one's hair over the course of the day. So reading all of that, my takeaway is ancient, by today's standards, y'all, ancient Egypt probably smelled. I feel like it just smelled like incense. That's, I mean, I don't, I don't, I can't recall what Murph smells like off the top of my head, but I feel like it's going to be a very incense 
fragrance, very patchouli-like. That's the vibe that I'm getting, and I'm not down with any of that. So that's what I think this perfume probably smells like, and I'm pretty sure it's probably not smelling good. Um, so if you want to smell it yourself, this is actually on display at the National Geographic Museum in Washington, D.C. Uh, they have an exhibition called Queens of Egypt, and it's going through um, September 15th. So I don't, I'm assuming this is interactive. They say that you can dab a little on your arm if you want to. So if you're in that area, check it out. Let me know how it smells and if I'm right. Because like I said, I'm pretty sure this, this sounds like it's going to smell terrible, but I'm also not an ancient Egyptian, obviously. I'm going by Western standard, modern Western standards, and um, I don't think me would like it. All right, so that's the first one. The second one is about a newish um, perfume on, like a perfume brand, and I kind of like the story behind it. So, this brand, uh, actually, I found out first of all, this is from the NewYorkTimes.com. The article is the perfume entrepreneur mining musical subcultures. So the brand is called Uvo. It's spelled I-I-U-V-O. I'm thinking that's how it's pronounced, but we know how I am with uh, names and such on this podcast. It's founded by two friends, uh, Tomi Ahmed and Leo Gibbon, and they founded it in 2015. And they use, they get inspiration from, like they said, musical subcultures. So one of their candles um they was inspired by uh, the Texas rapper Bun B and Ice, Iceberg Slim's 1967 memoir, Pimp, The Story of My Life, and The Woody Interior of a Cadillac. That was read straight from the article, FYI. So it, the scent was designed to evoke Southern rap. So that's how they get inspiration for their fragrances. Um, I like how it was started. So it first started with I guess um, Ahmed was, I guess, got into a fight with an ex-girlfriend. He was looking to apologize to her, and so he bought her a candle. His buddy uh, was the son of a florist, loved scent, and I guess called him out. I guess the, the scent of the candle that he chose was shitty. I don't know. I guess apparently it wasn't that great. So then they started talking about um, off and on, you know, after this initial thing, um, just like scent, and uh, they ended up creating this brand, which I think is kind of funny that it started off with some guys trying to apologize to his girlfriend and gets her a candle, and his friend's like, no, man, that candle smells like dog shit. Let me help you. I don't, Obviously, that's my um, dramatic reinterpretation of this dialogue, but um, I think it's funny. So they have... Uh, their perfumes are gender neutral. The, I guess they have three. This might be one or three. I'm going to say it's three. Um, so first installment is Soigné. Don't know what how to pronounce that. Guillo and Fontaine. Fontaine. Read, read the article. Um, these are released at 2017. You can currently get them at Harrods and Selfridges in London and Toto Calo in Seattle and New York. And they're trying to now include exhibitions and albums according to this 
um, article. They are based out in London, so they are not stateside. And they are currently working on, let me find it, a rave. Um, and this rave, according to the article, references the club culture that evolved from British night spots like the Hacienda and combines hints of white lotus flower and ambergris with an ecstasy accord, a blend developed to reference the sensation of MDMA-induced euphoria. So if you're interested in reading this profile, definitely check it out on the New York Times. Um, If you are in London, New York, or Seattle and have smelled this brand, let me know if if you like it, if the candles and the scents are good. I am interested to see um, how it smells. So maybe one of these days they will spread their reach all the way here to Orlando. Um, But until then, I'll just have to wait until I'm in any one of these cities on vacation. But it's interesting. I, I like the, um, the unique approach they take when they're trying to um, create their sense, their inspiration that they get um, that is behind their sense. It's very different. So be on the lookout for them. And finally, finally, it's happened to me. So I am really excited about this because I am a super mark. Um, if you watch wrestling... You don't know what a mark is. So this is from Pop Sugar Beauty. The article is, you don't have to sell your voice to a sea witch to get your hands on this Princess Ariel perfume. So then you scroll down and you are blessed with a picture of a turquoise, looks like a turquoise like duochrome bottle um, that's modeled after Ariel's tail it has Ariel in gold at the top, and then like the cap is a little sea is a scallop shell. It's gorgeous, and apparently, in celebration of uh, you know Little Mermaid is turning thirty this year. Yes, this this oh this is this came out. This, I'm podcasting on the seventh. This came out today, so this is fresh off the presses, you guys. Look at me, look at me being on the cutting edge of uh, breaking news on perfume. Um, So anyway, Little Mermaid is turning 30, and apparently Disney has partnered up with uh, an indie beauty beauty brand called Define Me to create not just Ariel, but an entire Disney princess perfume collection. So the first one, obviously, is Ariel because of the upcoming birthday, and um, the scents that it will include are, according to this article, Citrusy, neroli, bergamot, jasmine, lilac, tonka bean, coconut, and driftwood. Let me tell you something. I am currently, well, this is fairly new, but I've been trying to put myself on like a perfume no-buy because I got a shit ton of perfume and samples to go through with the exception of like G because I saw that she was still being sold and so I had to have it. I'm going to have to buy this one. I don't even care. I, I might not, I might even buy it sight unseen. I mean, that's, and that is a bold move, Cotton. Like, you don't know, to buy a perfume without having, to, without having smelled it is a bold strategy. But you know what? I am here for it. All that sounds amazing. The bottle is beautiful. And I want it now. Apparently, it's going to be debuted at BeautyCon, which, okay, now that's on my radar, on August 10th in Los Angeles. And um, beginning fall this year, they don't have a date, but beginning in the fall of 2019, you can get it at Define Me, 
Defining's website, Ulta.com and ShopDisney.com, and in participating Disney stores. They've got two sizes, a 9-milliliter bottle for $28 and a 75-milliliter bottle for $88. Can you hear the excitement in my voice? Yes, this is a total marketing ploy because also uh, Little Mermaid, they recently released the casting for the live-action movie. They cast Harry Styles as Prince Eric, not feeling that, not how I think Prince Eric should look, but you know what, whatever. Um, I would, I'll still go to the theaters to see it, still give him my money. And I will, uh, I will be buying this perfume. I will. And I am excited to see, um, obviously I'm, I'm sure they're probably going to do Belle. Um, They'll probably do a Cinderella one, maybe a Tiana, a Jasmine. I want to see how, I bet the Belle one's going to smell nice. Jasmine might smell a little bit incense-y. I'm just thinking because she's, you know, Persian-ish. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of, you know, Aladdin's kind of a Middle Eastern slash Indian ethnically ambiguous. Those are kind of ethnically ambiguous characters, so who the hell knows? But I feel like there's going to be, like, patchouli or incense. I just, I get that feeling in my bones. Maybe not. Maybe this is me racially profiling. Scent, sorry, don't get offended, but I just feel like it's going to go that way. Belle's going to have Rose, duh. Um, Cinderella, I don't know what scent. I feel like Cinderella might be like an aquatic scent. Um, I don't know. I think it's because of the blue, but I could be off. Um, she's probably going to be some generic floral, as will Aurora. Tiana, I don't know. What is native in New Orleans? I mean, I know the Florida Lee. Is that, a, is that an actual flower? Let me look this up. Fleur de Lis. What is, what is this? Um, oh, it is. It's a lily. So she might have some lily, uh, lily notes in hers. Um, cause you know, she's a, a princess and the frog, New Orleans, all of that. If they could make her smell like a shrimp po' boy ooh, or like a beignet, I wouldn't be mad at that either. I would love if they had an authentic beignet fragrance and I could smell like delicious fried dough and powdered sugar every day, oh, I would be all over that shit. Um, anyway, now I'm, I'm also hungry. I have not had dinner yet. So now I'm like thinking about beignets and po' boys and I want them so badly. Um, yeah, so here for this collection, I will probably buy um, Ariel and maybe Belle when she comes out. I don't, they have not confirmed any of the other princesses, FYI. I'm just jumping to that assumption since... The article says that they're doing a Disney princess perfume collection. So I think that's a safe assumption to make. And they're going to have all the heavy hitters, you know, all of our girls. Um, yeah, so mm, a nine, $28, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to have to get it. I'm super excited. This bottle is so gorgeous. I might, I wonder if they, I wonder if Define Me has a little taste of, of uh did, oh they do oh it's right on their website defineMeFragrance.com. ariel princess coming fall 2019 sign up for pre-order alerts you bet your sweet ass i'm gonna sign up for a pre-order alert this is super exciting i can't wait <laughs> i cannot wait why am i doing michael jackson i don't know um yes subscribe yes so okay all right Sorry about that. I kind of went off into my own world. Um, I'm part of my own world right now. See what I did there? Um, yeah, so I'm excited for this. I probably will pre-order it since I signed up for the alert because hello. 
And um, yeah, be on the lookout in the fall whenever they decide to launch. Also, I did not know, I knew about iBats. Like that has been my my holy grail of like, I'm not a big, I'm not a con person, right? Like I don't, I'm not big into comic books or even the comic book movies and not, I'm not judging anybody who is. I just have not found like a fandom that has conventions until I found out about IMATS. Apparently it's, I mean, it's open to the public and it's not like a con, like a comic con or anything, but Different brands have booths, and you can go and you can buy makeup and makeup brushes and all sorts of gloriousness for, I think, wholesale prices. And now they have, there's a beauty con that I just found out about. So those are on my holy grail lists of places to travel. Um, I don't need any more makeup or perfume, but I would love to to just experience IMATS uh, because I feel like I would probably buy a shitload of things and not feel bad for any of it. And I just want to check it out. Like wholesale prices, guys, or at least cheaper prices than you would get at the retail store. So anyway, if you have been to either one of those things, let me know what did you like about it, what you didn't, so I can keep some in mind um, when I get ready to plan my vacation. Some people plan their Disney vacations. Um, I will probably plan my IMATS slash BeautyCon vacation. Um, like that, obsessively like people do with Disney. All right, I'm going to stop talking now. I'm just super jazzed up with all these new developments that I've just learned about today and in this week. Okay, so still jazzed, but I've composed myself. We are done with this episode. Thank you for listening in. Um, I appreciate it. If you want to hang out with me online, um, I already plugged all this at the beginning of the episode, but I'll plug it again. Um, It's at Snappy Scribe Scribe on Instagram and then at the Snappy Scribe on Facebook. I'm active on both. Say hi. Um, Again, if you've been to iMats or BeautyCon, let me know what you think. Um, I think, think I asked you another question. I forget early in this episode, but answer that as well if you want to. Um, and anyway, I hope you have a great weekend. I hope that whatever you are doing, you are being safe. Oh, fuck. I forgot what I normally say to sign off. Oh, no. Being safe, having fun, and most importantly, smelling good. Bye. Pinot and Perfume is hosted and produced by yours truly, Sarah Chacon. Theme music is Around the Bend by Evan Schaefer.